1: hello friends welcome to unsiloed the show that busts the echo chambers if you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect if you like debate but love light not heat welcome home So a lot has been made, Jesus, about the things that we're going to chat about today. Three stories. We've had a lot of ink spilled over these topics, but I think I want to take a cut at them at a little bit of a different angle. And the first of them is this kind of ongoing Bud Light controversy. Definitely touches on the world of marketing, politics, board relations, who know, branding. Cancel say, culture. Cancel culture, a variety of different things. Mm-hmm. Right? There's been a lot of stories about it. As we're recording right now, the latest is that... Um, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch InBev, which it is bare mentioning, it's worth remembering that Anheuser-Busch is the parent of Bud Light, but Anheuser-Busch bought a huge company years ago called InBev, which like basically mm-hmm. owns every other beer brand in the world. So they're a massive company, about $60 billion in global sales a year. But he reported, uh, I guess, yesterday or today. That their,
2: yeah, yesterday was an earnings call. So oh, the earnings that, was, that was the context of the, yeah. The right.
1: So he reported the uh, sort of what they can peg as the impact of uh, all this but like controversy. And uh, he pegged it at somewhere around 1% of global volume, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, uh, at least on a dollar basis is $600 million. That's what we're talking about. 1% feels small, but not when we're talking about companies this size. So that was one thing. And then obviously there's been subsequent things since the controversy erupted with people being laid off from the marketing department or put on leave, I guess, right. is how they were defined. Uh, but when this you get the
2: nice way of saying laid off,
1: well, when you get put on leave and then you get replaced, yeah. that's the, that <laughs> put gives, on leave and
2: never come back. Right. The
1: leave and come back
2: is, is, is
1: that uh, is a thing. Yeah. So, um but I do think it's, a, so I think the interesting things about it, are maybe some of the commentary from the CEO, the impact on kind of global sales, why this thing doesn't seem to go away. That's the other one. Cause a lot of these things kind of, yeah, we probably shouldn't be hearing about it three weeks later, right? Like we have been. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is, You know, some things that um, maybe Bud Light could have done differently in their approach to this campaign. Right. So I kind of wanted to Mm -hmm. frame it around that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what happened uh, in the sort of late night, late night news uh, landscape with uh, Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. And again, they're kind of more oriented to what those guys might do next. And then Mm -hmm. lastly, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of a little fandom uh, related story around. Uh, the Wrexham Soccer Club. So anyway, we've got a lot Let's to a lot to cover. So on Bud Light, just for the sake of people who may not be aware, um, Anheuser-Busch uh, about was that about a month ago now? Maybe, right? Yeah. About a month ago, um, did a commemorative can uh, of uh, Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender activist or social influencer. I don't know how. They define themselves. How Dylan defines himself or herself. Uh, but um, basically, it was a commemorative can, and then there was some social activity promoting that can. That's about the size of it, right? It wasn't even like a real campaign in the sense. It was
2: it was a can to commemorate her one year transition. That's what it was. There you go.
1: Okay, so. That um, generated a tremendous amount of support on one side, outrage on the other, Um, but what seems to be pretty credible is a significant impact on the sales volume Mm -hmm. of that particular brand. In fact, one of the things that I texted you just the other day, which I thought was fascinating to me, is the the degree to which the changes—this came from the Wall Street Journal— That in the week that ended, basically the last week of April, Mm -hmm. right, the Bud Light's U.S. retail stores fell 21.5% compared with the previous year, while sales of rival brands Coors Light and Miller Light each grew 21% according Mm -hmm. to the analysis. So you always have the boycott effect of people not buying something, but people directly buying the other thing, to me, I thought was also interesting. Like
2: a protest buy.
1: Yeah, like a protest buy, like an anger buy. So, um, there's a lot we can get into here. I mean, maybe just start with the with the impact when you hear the CEO of Anheuser Busch InBev say, "Hey, we, you know, we we can peg this at about one percent of global sales volume." If you're a shareholder, what, how do you respond to that? What do you say?
2: Um, I think the response is probably in line to what happened. So, what has happened since that um, announcement came out yesterday? So, we're recording on Friday, May fifth. that was May fourth. The earnings call is that their stock actually went up a little bit. Right. And I think in this case, it's so much to unpack here, but I think, look, when you, when you go down and you hear the – when you start with you hear the stat, that 21% drop in sales mm-hmm. and almost like the equivalent of that increase in sales of your main competing brand like a Coors Light, that will basically panic a lot of people. That will set a lot of alarms. I think if you're in a, in a zero-sum game, which is beers are competing in that kind of environment, that could look really scary if this is going to be a long-term effect. Uh, so in essence, I think what the CEO is doing, which is smart, is like trying to contain the damage, recognizing it, because I think it's important. You can't ignore it. You can't literally have an earnings call and say like, yeah, what what campaign? What are we talking about? Like, right. That never really happened. Right. Nothing to look at here. But at the same time, contain and say, yes, that did happen. But when we look at the the overall mm. story to tell the long-term effect, but we know as of right now that effect While large in dollar amounts, small relative to our global sales. So I think that's what what they're trying to do. I think it's a smart move in terms of trying to put a container around it. And right now, it's it's all a messaging issue or a lot of PR issues that they're having to deal with, right? From uh, uh, how to deal with these uh, leadership that that has been put on leave to what to tell the distributors, what to tell anyone that is basically um, uh, is transacting with them. I heard everything from them were giving away free beer to distributors. Sure. Uh, to help them kind of, like, kind of get over the the, the the hump. Frankly, what do you say to some of these communities that you were trying to service or do market to to begin with mm-hmm. if you take too much of a stance, if you go backwards, if you like now you're firing your marketing people that were in essence trying to target to a new demographic. Mm-hmm. What does that say about A, your commitment or B, like that you really care about this audience, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there's like so much that can. And then, and then how do you appease your a big chunk uh, of your core consumer?
1: What I heard is that the distributors were getting a lot of hate from uh, the retailers, right? The, right? In other words, the retailers don't know to pick up the phone and call the brand manager at Anheuser-Busch, but they do know their distributor and they go, what of the course. hell are you doing? You're killing me. I'm not selling any of this product, blah, blah, blah. And so the, right. there was a retailer to distributor dynamic and a you know consumer to brand dynamic, a lot of things going on.
2: And I and think what's interesting about that, this is where you can have a quick multiplier effect that maybe is overstated, mm-hmm. uh, which is those... Owners of bars, etc. If you have, I was at a bar last night watching like a, a basketball game. I haven't done that in a long time. It was pretty crowded. If you get like ten of your of your regulars come in and throw a big fit, like why do you have butt out to the owner? Will that owner be more likely to be like, oh, I don't want to sell any butt Like, now does that represent the other, you know, five hundred people that were at this bar? Yeah, likely not. Probably not. You know how much, but but those loud voices can have a very outsized. Uh, impact than what's happening here. And then if that owner tells the distributor, hey, I don't want any of this beer because my my customers, once again, it could be, maybe it's everyone, but my guess is probably those of those. It's the focus group dynamic. It's the, the focus, one, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That could have a multiplier, multiplier effect happen really quickly. And I really think this is what, there's like, there's sh- marketing issues, there's yeah. distribution issues to talk, sort of talk about. I think there's an element of that as it happens. But in here. that
1: scenario, wouldn't the opposite also be true that some people who are like all down for it would say, no, I really love this beer. And wouldn't the distribute like the retailers have messaged that to the distributors too?
2: For sure. But I think you're, in most cases, most people are, in, are incentivized by negative news mm. and complaining than giving praise. That's true. Right, so six, I'm six to way one is this more time. likely to complain about something it is to give props to something. Hey, I really love the fact, like I do this all the time with people. When I go to to a bar, mm. going back to the bar for example, when I see people with distribute, spent a lot of time in bars. I, I'm not, but uh, uh, my, my fair share. I'll be, I'll be honest. But uh, whenever I see someone that has Shiner on tap, mm. I always give them credit. I'm like, that's awesome. That is a, but for those of you that don't know, that's a Texas-based beer, mm. and because I lived nine years in Texas, it's a really good beer that you just don't see in a lot of places, especially mm. out here in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So whenever I, ha- I see someone that actually carries it as a, like on tap, I'm like, right. Oh, that's awesome. You have Shutterball. Like I never have that. It's a point ver- of connection. It's a you. point of connection. Right. Yeah. And I make it a, make it a point. Mm-hmm. But do I really say that about any other beer? Like, Oh, I love what the social position this beer has had. And I'm going to go ahead and tell no. you bar owner. Probably not. I mean, to yeah. be honest,
1: the, the stat is actually six times more likely to yeah. give negative commentary than positive in
2: those retail settings. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think I think there is probably some element of that. Not to say that it isn't a real issue. I think it is for sure a real issue, because if it wasn't, it wouldn't last as long. And still, to your point, a one percent impact in sales for a global brand that that generates this much volume, that's a lot. That's a lot of beers, a lot of money, a lot of people that are directly or indirectly influencing, at least or giving their opinion of how they feel that the position that this brand took. Mm. What what I do find interesting though Charlie is that Bud Light in general has always been very supportive of LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I cuz I know cuz I go uh, a lot of time to West Hollywood, I see them everywhere. I've seen uh Bud Light with like on a on a rainbow flag, you know, like for Pride Month, like they're everywhere. It's all yeah. their sponsorship stuff all the time. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. This is what maybe the first thing that sort of caught my attention is what was so specific about this specific this like Thing that they did on this single can, because that's the thing that you got, you got caught up. People thought it was like being sold in masses. No, this single can that they created for this person. And why did this get so much heat? And not the fact that Bud Light, I'm sure, is a massive sponsor of a bunch of Pride events throughout the country. I've seen the one in Long Beach, Bud Light everywhere in West Hollywood. They're everywhere. I mean, I'm sure it's not just California other places. Yeah. Like, it, I have a theory. It's a really interesting one. And I, I would love to hear your, your take on I think There's
1: a couple things. First of all, there's a confluence of things that happen here yeah. because not only did this controversy happen, but it happened right at the same time when the VP of Bud Light, the woman who basically ran the brand, a woman named uh, Alison Heinerscheid, I think that's how I'm, pro- I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. her name correctly, was on a podcast and she called the brand, Fratty and out of touch that she yeah. had been working on ways to get you know to your point new audiences, whatever, mm-hmm. but it was more than new audiences it was always, It was almost like a brand makeover, so I think you yeah, had both yeah. of those things happen, and they don 't always happen that way, right? Sometimes a brand may do a misstep or a correct step that's misunderstood, and there is no commentary from the brand behind the scenes, right in this case, you had these things happening at the same time
2: yeah
1: the, that's I mean what, I heard when well, the mm-hmm. first
2: time I heard that specific point about this vP of marketing. It was Joe Rogan saying that the CEO of Bud Light had made this comment about kind of like it was almost he didn't say this, but what I interpreted as like it was almost it almost felt like the Hillary Clinton the Despicable's moment, mm. right? Like really talking down about the core consumer, consumer. Yeah. consumers in this case, and it wasn't CEO, but like but like that's that's the first time I heard about it because um, it came up it came up really quickly because they were pretty. By the way, that wasn't a podcast that she was on on March thirtieth, so it was pretty close to it was exact time, but it was pretty close to when the stuff actually happened.
1: And her name is Alyssa, not Allison, my bad. Alyssa Heinerscheid. Um so that happened. The other thing that I think is a more uh you know interesting, serious, nuanced uh topic is that I think that the LGBTQ sort of large you know basic support for that in the way that you've described is different in a way than what might be perceived as a direct endorsement of the transgender and trans transsex uh, community or individuals, and mm-hmm. I think that because they focus so much on that, let me give you an example.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's suppose that all of the support that you just talked about with Bud Light for the LGBT community broadly is true. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I don't know how, how true it is. Other than I've seen it a lot. It's
2: well, if you've seen it? But if you've
1: seen it as a consumer, that's actually very, yeah, that's valid, consumer, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but let's suppose that rather than uh, Dylan Mulvaney, they sponsored you know the you know the drag story hour or something like that, right? Specifically made it about you know um, in this case not transsexual uh, people, but people who want to dress up in the opposite sex and that's are very drag, right? Right, mm-hmm. drag. I don't, I don't, maybe wouldn't have had this level of intensity, but I still think what I'm saying is that they have, if they have a history, it's very generic. And now they, it, at least part of the dynamic to me is that they said, no, this particular person, this particular issue, there's some of that that I believe is also happening here.
2: Yeah, maybe. I I just think that this issue around trans mm-hmm. and also with uh, drag has been a culture issue that the right has really embraced. It almost feels like it's Taking over the slot that was left empty because of abortion, and I look—you could you have to look further than Ron DeSantis to think to know like this is a really big thing that some of these conservative states are really like pushing on anything to do with drag, anything to do with sounds like we're trying to convert people or what do they call them, uh, not prune them, uh, groom them, groom them, yeah, 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 exactly. I just think like that—it's now at such a like forefront. Um, but there's been new laws that have been passed against like banning transgender women from participating in women's sport like there's a lot of heat around the topic and I think that's a big part of the reason it's going back to your point like if you, it's one thing to say broadly support an LGBTQ uh, community like a but rainbow but I think I think if you do either Trans or um, or drag, I just think that both of those would have gone picked up. And, that's, that's
1: that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It, would have, it would have been blown up much more than both just, of those would have yeah. gone,
2: Yeah, blown up pretty hard. Um, and I do think there is an element of this combination of this VP of marketing making this comment of calling the brat the 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 the, the, the consumer fratty um, doesn't mean it's not true. By the way, it just it's just the reality is it like it's such a tricky balancing act when you are trying to diversify a brand's consumer base. From not and doing that while not alienating the, the base that is there. The other the people part that is can consume it?
1: You made an interesting point the other day when we were touching on this, um, and I do want to ask you if you were in mm-hmm. the CEO chair, would you have fired or put on leave these two people? Because the people that were put on leave was the the head of the brand of Bud Light, but also her boss, the the VP yeah. of marketing overall for for all of those mainstream brands. The point that you made though was that you said there's so many. Other brands within yeah, yeah. the Bud Light constellation, think of the seltzer drinks in particular, sure. that wouldn't have required this deep and, and, and abrupt a correction, right? If, if you do believe that that's the audience, fratty and out of touch and yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of whatever, you have these other things you could have utilized to maybe ease into this mm-hmm. new audience positioning.
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One is, there is, look, you do, because I, I remember this, when this news first kind of came out i did the first thing kind of came to my mind I'm like huh i wonder if it's a situation where this these folks just don't really know their audience really well like who is who really is a butt light drinker um and to that degree like how well like does it speak to the fact that they're disconnected from the how they view how they want their audience to be or consumers to be versus who that consumer actually is right and those are and I, to me the two extremes were like Kid Rock on one end shooting up Bud Lights, right? In shackle, response to yeah. right, in response to those the movement, and then this per this transgender woman, right? Like those are kind of maybe two polar extremes. And and I, I think about that. Then another way will be like, yeah, because someone like Bud Light or InBev to your to your point has like a bunch of brands, hundreds bunch maybe of brands thousands. that they can use to be able to do this. Now, does it mean more when one of your most popular brands does this? Well, probably. Um, I also think it, it may speak directly to what they're trying to do and trying to evolve this brand. Because the other quote that doesn't get maybe as much coverage that this same BPO of marketing said is that she talked about in that same interview that the brand meaning Bud Light had been in decline and has been declined for years. Right. And the making the point that if we don't figure out a way to attract young like consumers to, to drink this beer that we're going to be in trouble. And I do think about that, that kind of question and apply it to almost anything, right? You can think about it in sports. We've, we've spent quite a bit of time of talking about Major League Baseball, right? It's great to see Major League Baseball putting in some new rules that I like like really hate. Why are you changing the game? Because you cannot find a game that's maybe more tied to tradition than baseball.
1: Mm.
2: And there's another element that you're going to piss off people and by doing that, but you almost kind of need to do that. And that's the part where I just don't know. I don't know enough about who that Bud Light consumer is and who it should be to say whether or not this was, even if, if this got this kind of reaction, if ultimately this was the right decision to make.
1: I can, I mean, I don't know either. See, see what I'm saying? Like, like My, I, I, my, I, I my focus
2: know. group of one is my father-in-law
1: you know, hardcore Bud Light drinker, you know, older guy, blue collar, uh, from Florida in this case, even, you know, all the illusions aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Bud Light to me has always been more of a, you know, kind of like a bar beer, like something maybe that's on draft and you want to have eight of them. And so it's like, you know, yeah. you want to kind of, it's, it's, it, that's, that's what I think about when I think about Bud Light, and which is why sure. I think we've
2: disagreed on the, but it's my point though. Right. And like, if that is the, the current audience, like, is that the audience that Bud? No, wants? no,
1: no. But here's my question is uh-huh.
2: why skip to younger? And
1: if it's true, what I just said, a completely different kind of ideological bent. In other words, it seems to me, and I don't know, maybe they did this, that did they look at the younger version of that person who's older and say, how can I relate better to them? Or did they go, all young people are X, therefore we must
2: do this? Oh, I see. Um, well, I, I'm guessing that if you look at data on around how younger people, let's say Gen Z specifically, mm-hmm. how they view gender, mm-hmm. how they view sex, it's a, they're much more fluid, much more open to the idea mm-hmm. in general. So to say that you're going to lean into someone that has transitioned to be a trans woman is not a stretch. Put, a, put aside the fact that it's Bud light, okay? Because Bud light, I think the challenge you have here is you have an audience that is very, like, sees it in a very, very different light and is very sensitive to this issue right now because of how much this has been, I think, just a culture war. I don't know if it's, if it's that far off to say that if I'm trying to attract a 21-year-old, will they be more for the average 21-year-old in the U.S.? Would they be more for or less for the idea of celebrating someone that transitioned? I don't, I don't know if the response would be like, oh, I'm really against that, that, that idea in general, you know, like where they will fall on that spectrum. At least from the data that I've seen in the past, the younger people are, the more kind of open they are to the idea of how they think about, about gender.
1: It just seems that they're trying to do a lot in one fell swoop. From, yeah, as an outsider looking in, it seems like they were trying to go blue collar to white collar. They're trying to go older to younger. They were trying to go more conservative to less conservative. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all of these things in one fell swoop. I'm not suggesting this is the right strategy, but what if they said, hey, you know what? We have a blue collar kind of thing. What do young blue collar people care about? Like, maybe we right. want to identify with them. Look, in the Super Bowl spot that they did, do you remember that spot?
2: No, which one was, it was
1: it? a couple that was, uh, moving into their new apartment and they were on hold with somebody. Cause they were, I don't know, they're waiting mm. on some service technician to show up and they're on hold and the hold music that, and they're like, they're, they they kind of start dancing to the hold music and it's, 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 it's lovely. It's a great spot. It's mm. like you got, you know, young people moving in and they're, they're drinking a Bud Light. They got packing boxes everywhere. It's got a little bit of work ethic thrown into it. Right. I thought it was great. You know what I mean? And then when I look at something like this, I go, well, this may be better, potentially, but could you have explored that path a little bit further? You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah, I guess you could. But look, let's let's kind of just take it all back to what it actually was. They sent this one person one can with their picture. This person did one video. It wasn't part of a Super Bowl ad. It wasn't part of a large, like multi, you know, like national campaign. Multi platform campaign. It was none of these things. They work with influencers, I'm sure, hundreds of times for a day. For sure. Around but around a bunch of different different things. Different things. Do you think this is the case? I mean, this is why I, I don't want to be overly harsh with these marketing people. I could see you sitting in that room and like, yeah, as part of our efforts of diversifying the consumers' the brand, we're also going to do this. Does it do make this, sense for right? us to do this in a very small, scalable, scalable like in a very small way? At the same time, it means a lot to this person. It probably means a lot to that that community. I think the issue, though, that we have is that we are in this such a political moment, and where this issue specifically, I think, is has now supplanted both. It's supplanted all the conversations around critical race theory. I think this is way higher now. Whether it's trans and and um, I'm just blank on the other one. Uh, trans and um, drag, and drag. Thank you. Yeah, trans and drag in terms of a culture issue, like culture, the culture war issue, I is agree. at the very top, above. CRT, above Black Lives Matter, above abortion. Like all of yeah. like it's it's above all of them. And yeah. I think it's the kind of thing that you have folks, including some of these celebrities that really jumped in, that are, are gonna do whatever they can to like jump on this thing and make it as big of an issue. And and I think the only thing for me when I see this is like, weren't these some of the same folks that were so anti cancel culture? <laughs> Like that's what to me, The whole thing is so ridiculous. Like, yeah, yeah. you're only against cancel culture when it doesn't apply to you. And then the moment, you know, it kind of changes roles, like, yeah, it's yeah, canceled. Broadly, that might be everybody in and some ways. So, but but I do think the mistake here, and I think the fireball offense for that VPO marketing is the fact that these comments were made that were offensive. If I am that blue-collar, whatever old person and I see myself as a core butt-like consumer, and you're like, you're talking down about me because you're trying to attract new people. Yeah, it's in no not, scenario. I don't think that ever works. Like whenever you take a big chunk of your consumer base and talk them down as a way to attract new people, I don't know how that ever works out. So, you know, I think they would have gotten over that pretty, I think they're going to get it. First of all, I think Bela is going to be fine. I really do. Uh, I, I, like this whole thing is going to um, look, even you and I have the, the debate about Elon and Tesla. As much as I have an issue with it and I could huff and puff all I want. Is it really going to have a long-term impact on 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 Tesla sales? Mm. Probably not. Mm. On the next tweet, and people get all upset, including me. And then people say like, "It's still a pretty damn good car. I'm going to buy it anyways." Yeah, yeah, I don't really care that much. I wanted to ask you about how you felt about community notes too on Twitter, but we'll talk, oh, we'll that's hilarious. Leave that, leave that yeah, for a yeah, second. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that one. Um, great PR move of, of of taking a product that was already there before you got there mm-hmm. and just renaming it, and then like, oh, we came up with a great invention where you could fact check something. Think it's I'm new. like, it was already there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you bought like. It's hilarious. Maybe it just didn't apply to it's, politicians. It's, though, uh, I don't remember yeah, seeing it. Yeah, it's comedy. Um, all right. Well, anyway, the the, the to, me, to me that's the fireball offense. Yeah, is the like having, I guess we like is having that Hillary moment of the deplorables.
1: Like people yeah, because it shows a distance with the one thing that you should care the most about, which is stewarding the brand the proper way. I mean, you're taking a huge gamble.
2: Well, by, the the, by, mo- the most important people are your consumers, of course, all of them. Yeah. All of them. And you can attract new consumers without dissing your current ones. Mm. You can. Yeah. You can treat them. And I think that to me is, I honestly don't, don't have much of an issue with them doing this. And I, I I just think that the reason why he's getting, there's probably not not good market research for understanding like, hey, are there certain things that we may want to like not jump in the fray right now because mm. they're so toxic right now? They're so radioactive. Maybe there's a different way for us to think. It's a way. Maybe it's a different way for us to recognize This person, without kind of jumping into this this really toxic environment, probably. But I think the brand itself will be fine overall. Um, And I and I understand this person being let go. But to me, is the comments on the podcast that was a much bigger issue rather than decision to recognize this person and something that seems pretty small. What about? Well,
1: but there's three things. There's the comments on the podcast. There's the decision to do what she did in mm-hmm. terms of the commemorative can and whatever else. Yeah. And then there's the effect of that economically. So you got three things. Yeah, yeah. So now you're suggesting, and I agree with you, I would, I don't know if I would fire her. I would have put her on a real leave mm-hmm. after the podcast. Right. Okay. Second thing is the act of doing it. I don't believe is if if I was the her boss is a fireable offense irrespective of how I feel about it.
2: Yeah, now I don't, the, have, but, I don't, have, I don't have that much of an issue with it to be honest. I, okay. Looking back now, you can say we probably should have used a different brand. that actually better aligns. Like, right. Is this? Per, here's my question. Like before, this Kanga got Never in we, a million years has this person ever really, drinking a, a Bud no, Light. No. So that's my point. No. Of like maybe. Maybe give them a product that they right. actually will consume. Yeah, yeah. And right, maybe right. may
1: Dylan Mulvaney, Mulvaney did have a Bud Light at some point in the past. But I what I'm know. saying is it's, say, it, it it's, doesn't look very likely. It doesn't look very likely. It's like, you know, Audrey Hepburn, basically. doesn't look Okay, so then the third thing, let's suppose that the first and second things uh-huh. don't exist. We made a move in marketing that had, by all accounts, a $600 million top line impact yeah. negatively. Yeah. Is
2: that enough by itself? To do what? To fire somebody. If you're a marketing person. I mean, you you can, but- uh, th- this is a position. Well, it just—I think you can, but I—I would have a hard time saying the the, th- the thing. I will, I will go back to is, was the move that we did in working with this one influencer and sending them on this 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 can. Is this the first time we've ever done it? We've done it for anyone else? Was this part of a national campaign? Did we bet the future of this or even current state of the brand to support a position that seems kind of fringe? I think the answer to all those is no. They did something one off with one influencer that blew up, that went viral. And you could talk about now, look at all the things happening. I have a hard time saying someone should get fired for that. Mm. Because if I was there, would I do something similar? Probably. Like, it, it seems fairly small until it gets picked up by social media and it gets like right, all what, the what, rhetoric. What I'm trying to get at is, is, is
1: separate this particular action. I'm talking about, forget about Dylan Mulvaney, mm. and forget about this, um. this woman. Your marketing VP took an, an action, whatever it is, yeah. that you can peg a 1% decrease in global sales too—a a $600 million hit. Is that enough by itself? Forget Dylan Mulvaney. Forget Bud I I think you
2: could definitely fire someone for that kind of hit, for sure. Now, whether they should or not, I think depends on whether this is a brand that wants to stand for something or not. And to what degree was this a stunt? Like I do have to think about what is the reason for that? Mm -hmm. Like what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And as a result of that, then you could look at the, at the, but I think simply look at the financial implications of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's enough. Is it enough to fire? Of course it is. Like that's a lot of money that it costs the, the company. So you could definitely fire a person for that. But I, I don't know. When I look at the, what they actually did put aside her comments, what they actually did doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Maybe I'm just don't know, But now I do think you as a brand. Now, if you're, if you're, an, if you're a marketer of a different company and you're saying like, should I lean into this moment right now? of anything that has to do with both transgender, or drag, fuck, probably not. Like, it's just such a toxic moment that I don't want to be next on that list. I don't want to like, yeah, maybe I'll be supportive to your point, maybe a little more, more broadly. And that is, it actually is too bad that that's the case, mm. right? For Especially for brands that do want to like lead into that market where it actually doesn't make sense because you could do that Without once again talking down to your current consumer base, I think
1: you can. Yeah, it was a tri- It was a it was a double effect here. I think um, on this one, there was a combination of things.
2: I just think we'll, we'll be sitting here six months from now, and this will be dropping the bucket uh, to to what they've done. What is interesting, I think the impact on sales. I, I do think there's some element of that. What we're saying is like the distributors getting hit by those owners of bars who are getting an outsized ear like hearing from a couple of or people within the bar. But I don't think it's I don't know if how much people actually ultimately care outside of people that are talking about it like us and other people. Yeah. It would be interesting. Maybe ask some people
1: next time you yeah, go out. Yeah, I you know. know I
2: like, yeah, like how much people actually care about it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you read the articles and it
1: seems like some of them do and certainly yeah. the distributors got very loud with Anheuser-Busch when this thing went down because they were getting
2: a lot of the heat. I think what would be awesome is if, if, if uh, uh, Budweiser launches like a, uh, a their own competitor to themselves well, that's already happened, right? So one of the things, not Budweiser, but
1: what happened, um, there's, there's a, uh, you know, obviously their competitors now have looked at this very opportunistically, but there's even been new brands, one called Ultra Right beer, which launched, capitalizing on the Bud Light controversy. We talked sure. about this with Jeremy's yeah. Razors. We yeah, talked yeah. about it in other cases. I wonder what's happened with uh, them. Do you think that business is still is still active? The Razor, that'd be, that'd be a great example to look at. Yeah, I actually don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought it was kind of genius to have that as a, as a strategy, right? right. W- w- the, the next thing that gets canceled is just launch the, the competitor. Sure. Um, let me just do a quick, a quick yeah, apparently there are. Yeah, Jeremy's razors.
2: Still, yeah, I still it'd, buy it. be, it'd be interesting to see whether or not like that has like lost kept all up. the steam or kept up or yeah, whatever, right? Yeah.
1: Interesting. All right. So let's let's move on to the next thing that happened last week as well. Believe it or not, even though it feels like two weeks ago, this actually went down, I think the 24th. We're recording this on Friday, the fifth, so it's ten days ago. Um, that all of this hit anyway. And the the basically the change in the cable news landscape with Tucker Carlson and um Don Lemon effectively being fired there's still some question about whether or not Tucker's still under contract. There's like a bunch of stuff like that, but basically they were gone from their respective slots. And uh, you know, there's some theories about uh, Carlson's fallout. There's some texts that are, that are out there that he sent that have been discovered, which you know, we can get into. And then there's also the dominion uh, voting machine settlement, which was a $787 million settlement that Fox had to pay out, which is also a lot of money. There's also a bunch of other uh, former head of booking who had a discrimination lawsuit related somehow to, mm-hmm. to Tucker. There's a number of things. And then Lemon um, was different things. You know, CNN saying we don't have as much money as we had because our ratings were really low, low ratings of his show specifically, and his perceived or otherwise hostility to females, including his co-workers, right? Most notably, when he called um, Nikki Haley, the Republican presidential mm-hmm, yeah, candidate that she said wasn't in her prime, and that yeah. didn't go over so hot on that particular show. So anyway, Anyway, these two guys are gone. Now, a lot's been said about them, Jesus, but what I wanted to do mm-hmm. is kind of maybe turn our attention to what those kind of guys could do next, because mm-hmm. I think there's interesting strategy and business uh, uh, discussions around that kind of subject. What's j- j- When you first heard about this, you know, thoughts or what was your initial uh, observation? Hey,
2: I was ecstatic. Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. I sent it to you right away. Mm-hmm. I, and I love the fact that it was both of them. Like really? literally, the two of the people that I like dislike the most mm. in media mm. is both, and I, I could for like, different say,
1: reasons, for yeah. very different.
2: But I can say it with a very straight face, both Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. Like I could not stand either one of them. Yeah, like I think they were both terrible for the U.S. Honestly, in terms of like what their message, how they talk, like just continuing to like push yeah polarization, division. Both of them, both of them, and like they're different in all this. And obviously, Tucker has a way bigger brand than than Don Lemon, but. I, I was, I was glad to see it. And even if it, if it uh, felt like, um, cause it felt very coordinated. So there's like a whole conspiracy theory around like how coordinated it actually was, or maybe seen as an opportunity mm. to kind of, you know, do it. Um, of I think it was Tucker. was Tucker the one that was, that was, that was gone first. Tucker, his last
1: show was the Friday the week before. And I guess Lemon was fired that. Yeah. yeah week, so, so maybe it was Tucker an opportunity was like,
2: let's drop him at the same time to like, just put it all under one and yeah. kind of like, the, look over here. And you know, one of those, um, so look i I think there's a couple of elements that are going on here. One is there's definitely the 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 point to discuss around what does this mean for the future of, of media of media mm-hmm. right and how politicized how uh yeah, how fractured uh or yeah overly politicized do we think that media is going to continue to be, and is this a signal to potentially coming into a more reasonable, rational place that is not about just? getting the, the far versions of these more amped up, right? It just doesn't there's, sell as
1: many ads, dude.
2: That's the problem. Well, that's the, <laughs> exactly, right? So that's why I'm I'm not very optimistic about that being the driver. Mm. I think the second thing is that now you're talking about these two individuals who are out in the market. And yeah, there's going to be some a time of non-compete and all that. So putting that stuff aside, I think what is interesting, starting with the second one, is that you have seen this rise in independent media yeah. that is definitely a movement it is, I think, the strongest that we've ever seen of independent journalists, like, really creating brands for themselves and decided purposely to detach themselves from the machine. Sure. And then being able to have success, right? The one that I point, that I look at, um, maybe because I follow them the, mo- the most, is um, Crystal and Sager, who were mm-hmm. with The Hill. Mm-hmm. Who had a very successful show with the Hill and decided like we're gonna do it on our own and as a group we're like we're out we're gonna launch our own brand on our like by ourselves what's it called the new one uh it is called Breaking Points Breaking Points yeah yeah and and they're having a lot of success and
1: journalists too
2: right I mean Joe right. Goldberg Barry Why
1: Substack all that stuff I happening. think a lot
2: of those guys frankly looked at what Joe Rogan did and were like hey it's possible it's possible not just to like survive but to be even more successful. than than what these uh, media companies are because people don't have the same just doubt about everything that media companies do, right or wrong. Like they just, there's just so much like doubt in what it is. There's so much like lack of trust. Mm. So I think being an individual just kind of creates a dynamic of having much more trust with with your audience. So there's a dynamic for that. The challenge that I see with both of these guys is that it is, for, for the folks that have done it, at least to my knowledge, they were much more digital first people to begin with. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And that's yeah. uh it's is harder to then turn around as these massive talent and then say, well, I'm just gonna do it on my own because they're just not used to working. And there's
1: now. not a ton of evidence, right? If you think about the recent broadcast talent that tried to do this, right? Bill O'Reilly, solid out O'Brien, other people, I mean it hasn't, it, to, to do the network-only transition to ecosystem, it just seems harder I to do. I didn't even know
2: Bill O'Reilly was actually doing anything until he was commenting on uh, Tucker Carlson getting fired. Yeah. When I saw them, I'm like, oh, this guy's still like creating content. Like, I hadn't heard that name in a really long time. Still got the same, they same show. It kind of jumped them back into relevance a little bit, you yeah. know? But, yeah, they're nowhere close. And, and frankly, between the two, Tucker's the one that has a national shot because Tucker does have a very strong, like him or, love it or, or hate it, he has a very strong brand. A lot of people are very loyal to him, I think specifically. And um, I could see him being able to do it much I, more than Don Lemon. Yeah, I don't see Don Lemon being able to do it. Oh, right. So if do if it.
1: if the move is, do I become a talking head or pundit somewhere else or build out my own independent brand, I almost feel like those strategies both apply to Tucker, but only one does to Don Lemon. Yeah. And if he comes back as a talking head, it would be after non-competes and after some period of uh, space so people can, you know, kind of, he can yeah. come in and go, it's a new day and whatever. So I could totally see him on some morning show
2: yeah. moving forward. Yeah. But I could see uh, Tucker uh, launching uh, yeah, an okay. app and it's, doing it's whatever. It's going to be tough for him. Yeah. I think it's tough for Donald. I think he's like. Uh, just burn bridges. Uh, he just burned bridges. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just burned bridges. And, and but I think Tucker could, could potentially do it. I mean, it's, it is, I think the option is out there for him. It is interesting what's going to happen illegally between them and him and Fox News. And, but you know, but, but I guess let's, let's talk about both CNN and Fox News. Do you actually see it as a as a move towards more? Well, Chris Licht, the
1: president of CNN, or Light—I don't know how you pronounce his name. L-I-C-H-T. Mm-hmm. I think it's Licht. Um, when he came in after uh, Zucker, yeah, he, said that, yeah. he said, "Like we, we, you know, this has gotten crazy. We're going to go get back right. to journalism." Blah blah blah. <laughs> now, since then, I don't know if you could point and go like this as as off as much as maybe.
2: He envisioned you could. Um, I mean, he's made some moves. I mean, there's some town that is no longer there anymore, right? Yeah. You got, you know, not just Don Lemon. You have a, a Cuomo who's not there either, right? So there's been some moves. Who's on of,
1: Newsmax? I think isn't he? Or is, uh, is he on Newsmax? No. he's no? It's on he's one not of those. On no, it's one of those. Yeah. Cuomo. Really? Yeah, it's one of those.
2: Um, oh, that's hilarious. Hang on. I'll, I'll, it goes back to the point we were making, though. Like the fact that these guys, even massive brands, they just you just have a hard time kind of finding their. Uh, yeah fame again right
1: yeah for sure let me see what what is the name of that no it's if it's not if it, it's another one of these like um why can't i find it uh oh well, well whatever we need a producer to look this stuff up on while we're doing this but it's one of those things but, at but least, okay
2: so to so that point at least cnn could point to News News hey. nation news nation
1: that's what it's called
2: not that is yeah um <laughs> who cares uh at least uh, CNN can point to say, "Hey, at least we're we're talking about it. When we're going to do this." And you could maybe if you could squint long enough, you can maybe kind of see some moves that we right. That, that, but Fox, do you think Fox is actually like um, really trying to lower the rhetoric? They literally just lost a lawsuit for actually amping up the rhetoric, knowing that it was like knowing they were lying. Yeah, to not lose their core audience. I don't
1: think so. Look, I think that all of this to me is an economic consideration tied to advertising and unless we get away from the notion that impressions and reach are things we care about it's just hard to come off of that when you know that doubling down tripling down and being more catering to your base drives that metric right i think if we if we had the opposite which is hey neutrality is a metric that advertisers care about like if if that suddenly happened if advertisers started to say listen we don't we care more about neutrality than we do about impressions you have a chance
2: is it? But I always heard this, and I just don't know how true it was of uh, advertisers leaving the Tucker uh, show, like no longer wanted to sponsor it, mm-hmm. as being potentially one of the reasons why for Fox it would be like, hey, this, in spite of the ratings, spite of being a juggernaut, because because he was, he was a juggernaut there, that you know, bigger than anyone else. It didn't necessarily mean uh, a successful thing for for Fox keeping them because. There was a certain element of advertisers that just didn't want to touch them, touch him anymore.
1: Yeah, and I, I always heard that. I don't
2: know, frankly, how true that actually. Well, you was. went
1: through a number of advertiser boycotts in the last in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And interesting too about the size. I only know this because I saw the same clip that you did of Bill O'Reilly talking about this, mm-hmm. and he talked about that. You know, Tucker was averaging between three and four million a night. He, O'Reilly show used to do between five and six million a night. So now that, and he kind of positioned it to see how much better. I think that's, that's just cable. Right, that's just cable but back yeah, then and cable today.
2: Tucker, by far, the one of the, the most successful cable for sure, shows.
1: For sure. For sure. And has been for a long time. for the small universe. The, for sure. But, you know, and also let's remember that he's been doing this for 30 right. years. It's not like he just started with that show. He was yeah, like one I, of the I, hosts of Crossfire back in the day.
2: I agree with you. I see no indication from Fox specifically of wanting to be more neutral or wanting to be more about... Uh, more measured, more about news specifically. I just think they should literally just change the name of that company. Like stop calling it Fox News, like Fox commentary. Mm-hmm. Like that's okay. Like just just be that. Like that's what a lot of this content is anyway. Yeah. Like why are you calling it news? Let's like, stop, stop pretending to be something that's actually Yeah, they not. might
1: be heading into a similar moment that CNN was a few years back when there was the same kind of commentary from the right. It's like, listen, if you want to be left, just be left. But don't say it's like, you know, national news network. It's not, you know what right, I mean? It's basically right. commentary. I do think that I've seen more from CNN at least in the wor- out in the world that they're attempting to do this. Right. Then I at have to stating.
2: Right. Right. They at least have stated it. Yeah. Um, and whether or not it's true or how much they actually are living up to that. that's a whole other question. All right,
1: well, get ready to download your Don Lemon app coming coming soon, Jesus. Ooh, can't yeah, wait. We'll, we'll see. I'll subscribe. Yeah, you'll be the one. Hit the like. You'll, that's right. All right, so last story here. It's actually um, a sports related story. So, you know, getting your perspective as always will be interesting on this. So, this is the uh, Welcome to Wrexham. Have you seen the series on FX? <laughs> I have not. I actually, have. Yeah. I have seen it. And I saw it well before this actually. Became a story. So, for those who don't know, um, Wrexham is a Welsh soccer club that is the oldest soccer club in the world. In fact, um, their field, their stadium, is I think the oldest, uh, um, you know, the longest-standing uh, stadium in, in in athletics right now. So it's mm. been they've been playing games there for over a century. And this Welsh soccer team was purchased in, in COVID by um, Ryan Reynolds, the actor, and Rob McElhenney, also an actor of mm. significantly less... You know, monetary uh, uh, size than Ryan Reynolds, but anyway, both actors bought this club. But of a
2: very funny show, always, always sunny Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, that's right. So like his claim to fame. That's right. And Ryan Reynolds now just sold mint and all this other stuff. The guy's like it at a different like a strata. Yeah, a yeah, different yeah. strata. Anyway, these guys bought this team, and they decided to document the buying of this team as a documentary. My theory, just from the get-go on that, okay, is that we're in the middle of COVID. I've got agents calling me every second. We got to stay relevant. We got to stay in the public eye. Production is shut down. We don't know how long this is going to be. I have a great idea. Y- you know, you like soccer, buy this thing and we can document it and it'll be amazing and it'll keep you in the public eye. That's my theory of something like that that was going on. Anyway, these guys buy this club. Now this club, if, if you know anything about soccer in Europe, there's a top table, right? The premier league or the top teams that play in the, in, in the UK, right? As an mm-hmm. example, if you're not in the top team, you get relegated, which means you get dropped to the lower tiers. And there's a bunch of lower tiers, like five lower tiers, okay? Right. And these guys, at least at the time that they were purchased, were in one of the lowest tiers. Okay? Which, the, by the
2: way, I think is a, it's a system that we should employ against every oh, single major league. For sure. Like every 100%. 100%. 100%. And if actually, your team sucks, it should get relegated. relegated. And the teams that are that are the best in the, in the, in the, the league, you should get a just, chance at it. You, you, know? you should be fighting
1: them. for something to stay up at right. the top. It should matter, right? But, like, people don't just tank their season to get better draft picks. Good point. And that, you know, that may be another show we have to do. But anyway, so, (laughs) so Wrexham, they buy the team, they start investing in the team, Jesus, they get sponsors, they use all their star power to attract TikTok as a sponsor, and they change the stadium, they do a bunch of different things. And this team starts playing better, Mm -hmm. right? So they start winning more games, they don't in their first season, they actually don't get promoted. They stay at the bottom, but they finish second, I think, or third. This season, they finally did get to the top of the table. So they're getting promoted to the, to the next upper league, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a huge moment of success. Great, yeah, Right, The valuation of the team dramatically increases. Mm-hmm. New sponsors open up. I mean, it's like a huge boon, right? And the interesting thing to me about this, among other things, is the idea of how this thing has come together around this kind of content ecosystem, right? Where you've got this like experiential thing. It's called a team with games, but then you've got all this content that's flowing. You've got this social amplification, you've got sponsorships. They've almost built like a media company around this team and the effects that it seemingly has had on the athletes. The athletes seem to be playing better because the spotlight got bigger. So it's like Mm -hmm. a weird kind of virtuous circle that is an interesting model to look at.
2: Mm -hmm. What say you? I think it's is super, super interesting. Um, and I think it speaks a lot to the strategy um, that that I think is, is really interesting. The strategy around using, how to leverage storytelling and con- like really premium content as a way to generate fandom and to create attention. Ooh. And I think this guy, Ryan Reynolds, I think he's a fucking genius because he's done versions of this, not in a sports sense like this one, but he's taken moments where he's like, really capitalized around something that is happening and then done some storytelling and then like really benefited like financially very really well. Like I'll, I'll give you a, a quick example. Do you remember the commercial that was done around a uh, Peloton where this is <laughs> like fucking great. It was like a Christmas commercial. Oh, he crashed it into the wall or no, something. No, no, no. Was it? it was a, it was a Christmas commercial where this, the husband mm. bought as a Christmas gift, a Peloton bike for the wife oh and yeah. she's like oh great thanks it's like it's like giving you know think about like giving a you oh, know vacuum cleaner a, a vacuum cleaner like one of those like yeah. hey baby you gotta you know keep it tight nice and tight so here's a bike and it got Yikes. all kinds of heat online right now at the same time uh ryan reynolds had his um was it a vodka brand or or gin i think it was gin right mm-hmm. a gin brand so this dude sees this sees what's happening he contacts his people. They are, are scouring everywhere to find this actress. They find the actress. And within like a week later, they have her in an ad with her and two girlfriends, like just looking at each other like, whoo, and then having a drink. And everyone knows that this is like the what happened after nice. this Peloton bike moment to now I'm, I'm out with my girlfriend having a drink of gin because like this idiot of a husband that I have thought it was a good idea to give me this Peloton bike. Mm. They did all of this like within like a week long execution. That is, I think, genius storytelling, tapping into a moment. And I think this is what he like they're really good at. And when I think about the story of what they've done here, there is a, a movement that has been happening, especially around long-form storytelling, around sports. I think you look at the last dance with with Michael Jordan, you look at the F1, uh, Race to Survive. There's been like all these like the sport, PGA series. The PJ one, the, uh, full swing that mm-hmm. just started. As a matter of fact, I heard the producer who did both uh, uh, Full Swing and also uh, Race to Survive. Um, I think he produced b- both of those. There's been like this long form storytelling. We saw a very similar dynamic in the case of F1 that all of a sudden there's people, like there was a lot more fandom now in the US because yeah. of the storytelling that's happening here. Now you have more events that are happening in the US around F1. There's one in Texas and Miami, I think is what it is, right? I, it was, I think it is Texas and Miami. The, the Miami two. for sure has, has I th- one. I, th- I thought it was two of them. Yeah. I may be wrong on the, on the second one, but you're now creating a market because of great storytelling that helps like elevate the spotlight, elevate the, your ability to market, your ability to get fans, right? And then it creates this sort of like this, this feedback loop that the more fans, the more people are aware, the more people are tracking it. As a player, do I play off a, a little bit better? Do I try a little bit harder? I know that all of a sudden my story is gonna get, is gonna get out there of what yeah, we're doing. you're I just not playing like, in the minor leagues anymore. You're like all of a sudden creating this movement and and you couldn't find two more likable dudes. Like yeah. these two guys are super likable, yeah. they just are and and the series I just is think fun. It's, it's such an interesting uh like experiment that they've done but, yeah. I, but I just want to say that i just think when the case of ryan reynolds like it's not this is not a unique moment for him
1: no i agree with that i just i wonder if it's it's uh, replicatable in you know in more ways than just this right and i wonder also how much of this was planned in other words how much of this was strategy and how much of it was just you know, I could see the first part about, let's do the document. You're going to buy this team because you want to stay relevant and out in the, in the public's eye during COVID because you're not going to be in movies because we're not shooting any movies. Yeah. So this is a way to do that. I could see that. But then the, the virtuous circle you just described, you know, I, I, I like if they planned all that, they're like, oh, and, you know, I could just imagine. And the team's going to play better and we're going to get promoted. By the way, and now the team's going to be worth a billion this,
2: dollars. Like, I, 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 Yeah, you're right. And, but you're thinking about this, tell the story that is out there at the same time that one of the most successful scripted shows right now is Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. which is a story about this American coach going to Europe to, to basically be, become, a, become a soccer coach. Like, you, you, do you think there's that that's li- how to this, it? There is luck in, all, in this, yeah, for sure. There's for luck, sure. Charlie, there's luck. Yeah. But, but I just think that I could totally see these guys sitting down like, hey, let's buy a team. And while we're at it, we're storytellers. That's what we do. Let's tell a story about it. Like mm. that's gonna be, I think, a, a, a thing that people will find really interesting of how this actually work. And then you have these two personalities that are very likable that could be the center of the story. Like there's already a lot of elements that are working for them. And then you add to the fact that the team actually got better. Right now they're getting elevated. You add to the fact that you have this like really successful series that is that is now on an, an Apple with with Ted Lasso, that is increasing the overall I think interest that people have. Even if it's casual, but in soccer, European soccer, I think through something like that.
1: And it's just, I think it's a great combination. Do you think Ted Lasso has actually helped uh, U.S. fandom for soccer?
2: I, I think so. I just don't think that translates necessarily to MLS fandom. So it will be more for European soccer. I think that it probably helps a lot. Yeah. More. Interesting. Like you really need the version of this for MLS. You need something that is like a really interesting story. And I think if you're MLS, you got to be a little concerned.
1: And I wonder if doing it for the MLS would mean that you'd have to have the story set somewhere else, almost like have it, have it hit somewhere else and us look at it and go, wait a minute, that's our stuff, our story. It's almost like if we started with an MLS story and targeted to the U S like, I don't, I don't know because you see what I'm saying? It's almost like it becomes more interesting if it's an MLS story, but it's not happening here and we find out about it on social, I don't know, in Turkey or something, they do some amazing show about MLS you know, soccer and then it yeah. becomes a global thing.
2: Yeah, maybe. No, I, I, I just, I still think when it comes to storytelling, it's all about just characters, about people. And mm. it's about the people. Like one of my favorite sports shows is, uh, last chance you. Mm-hmm. I think I shared this with you. The last two seasons of it have been on, uh, about LA city college, their basketball team. And it's so well done. And yes, this is, this all happens during their season, but it's not about the season. It's about the characters. It's about and the I think characters. in that show, they do such a great job that they, they do the bookends about the people. They start with, showing the faces of all the players that they're going to focus on. And they ended with the faces of all the same players and kind of what's happened then. Like what, like what happened next after the, the, the like that season, you know, concluded. And there's like everything else in between. And you know, you have super high stakes immediately. This call literally called last chance you, because you have people that had, were at some peaks in terms of success that somehow ended up in this city college. Yeah. And Injury or family issues or criminal issues or whatever gave, it was. You know, they yeah. did things, there's like already some personal turmoil that got them there and like the question is will they get it together will yeah. they be well, able to well it's got to, the
1: essence of the thing that as an audience you're looking for you get the payoff every episode which is like will they overcome that's like a right. huge payoff for, for, it's, it's, it's
2: huge it's yeah. huge and I think there's an element of that that you can do uh, for MLS for sure that I think will make it much more interesting and to me it's always the kind of thing is like Giving something to an audience that they didn't know existed. Yeah. Giving something that like is in their backyard, but I'm like, oh, that's such a really interesting story. Like I didn't know I never understood this about as I sit making here making it and, to uh to yeah. a, to a soccer team. What? How is that different than all the other sports? I never like. It's just harder with MLS because as I sit here, I can't
1: think of a lot of those threads to latch onto that seem authentic, right? Like the whole, you know, poor kid making it. That's something that like, eh, not really, you know, for MLS for soccer, you could, mm-hmm. but you know. So that's kind of not it. The sort of, uh, you know, overcoming adversity. I don't know. Like, it's just those things I can't see as the hooks for MLS. And I wonder what that is, what that hook actually is that would be authentic and you could storytell around. It's just harder for that. I don't know why. Maybe that's part of it is me being branded on what MLS
2: mm-hmm. is. Right. But when I, I look exactly. at it, I just don't see that. I mean, you got like hard knocks. The hard knocks don't hard. see terrible, on terrible, terrible teams. Yeah. It's still super interesting. Yeah. Like all, all those dynamics. I don't, I don't know. I think you can could, you could, you could definitely do something around. You could you could do a bunch of different stories around turnaround stories of a team that has been like it's in trouble. It hasn't succeeded in a while. Bringing in a new team, new coaches, new staff, and then seeing like the like literally the experiment that has to happen to see if their team is going to be successful or not. And frankly, it's inter- entirely independent of, of what the team actually does. Now, in the case of like Rexham, to your point, if they happen to be good and get better, like, oh, now you got something. Yeah. of these things actually feel I mean, think each about other. the
1: value of these franchises once they get to that size. I mean, what are these things worth? They're worth sure. billions and billions yeah. and billions of dollars. I think what's clear to me though, in summation on this topic is that if you're in the sports world and you don't have a chief content officer, you got to get one. This is like, you know, storytelling is uh, a critical part of the long-term success of clubs, um, I think, and maybe just sports in general. It has been for a while at the league level, but now I think at the team level that you have to take that approach as well. I think that's also kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Anything else, Jesus? Did we miss something of, of note? Uh no, no it's not not with these stories. All right, very good. All right. Well listen, we're happy to be back. Uh we're gonna be adding some things to the show, changing up some frequency, adding some guests, doing some fun stuff. But we hope you enjoyed it, different ways of looking at these topics um and approaching them from a nuanced perspective. And we'll see you again next time on Unsiloed.